Welcome to Grace Bible Church. Really excited to worship with you. And um, gosh, that last song, it took me the second singing of it, but it was like, it's basically our text. Um, I mean, like, y'all should come back tonight and sing that song again. It'll mean a lot more to you. Um, welcome. Uh, we, we've got a different stage today. I don't know if you noticed it or not. I, Mary came in and, and I was like, how are you this morning? She's like, distracted. And I was like, oh yeah. Um, this is for v- VBS. Daniel is not going to come in and a role play or anything like that, part of the sermon. Uh, nothing like that. He's, uh, yeah. I, I felt like I should like bring Excalibur or something up to preach. But um, this, this is basically the result of a bunch of moms who have not only just been working for the last couple of weeks, but, but some of them have been working like all spring on our VBS. And it, it is it's a big deal, obviously. It's, it's been a ton of work. What we would like from you is that you would pray for our VBS this week. It, it, obviously, we've put a lot of, they have put a lot of work into it, and, and it's because we get to present the gospel to a bunch of our kids, and that is, that's a privilege. And so, would y'all just pray with us this week for kids to hear the gospel and lives to be changed. And, and also, there's a bunch of kids at Young Life Camps out this week, and, and pray for them as well. Okay, I'm going to pray now, and we're going to turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Bow your heads with me. Father, we want to just thank you for sending Jesus, who is the great Redeemer, the, the wellspring of our soul. And, and Lord, truer words couldn't be sung. And, and God, to the degree that we take those words for granted, we repent. We ask, God, that you would impress upon us uh, just the weight of the gospel today and, and that it would, it would shape how we see everything in our lives. So, so God, I pray that your spirit would move in us. I, I pray that we would learn everything that you want us to learn, nothing that you don't want us to learn. And I, I pray, Father, that we would, that we would be really willing uh, to give ourselves fully in all areas of our life to you. And so help, help this sermon clarify some of that and help us to be encouraged, God. I, I really do. I, genuinely, I pray for encouragement and I pray for freedom for the people of Grace Bible Church. I, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, you might have already gotten ahead of this, but we're going to be talking about giving today, giving, giving money, really. It's, the reason we're doing that is 2 Corinthians 8 is about that, and we've been working through first and then 2 Corinthians. We finished chapter 7, and, and so here we are at, at chapter 8, and, and it's about money, okay? So here's what I want to just acknowledge from the, the start. Anytime that a pastor talks about money, it, it's kind of a touchy subject. And the reason it's a touchy subject is because a lot of churches have have been really weird about money. And, and sometimes churches really try to turn the screws down on their congregation to get them to give more money. And, and there's a lot of that. I, I've been in churches that have done that. It, it can get sort of weird. The, the other reason it's a little bit weird is because we're all a little weird, myself very much included. When you start talking about my money, I'm thinking it's my money and like butt out. And, and I get that. It's, it's actually not my money. It's God's money. And it's not your money, it's God's money. But I get that it's touchy. It, it really is. And, and so what I want to do to start off today is, is just kind of level set and, and try to tell y'all where Grace Bible Church is 
financially so that you won't think that my end goal in this is somehow to turn the screws down. We, we this year have, and this is real kind of broad numbers, I, I'm all about broad, we, we have about a $6 million budget. And, and that, that, base, that budget is derived from our, our ministry goals and, and then basically all the fixed costs that it takes to keep the lights on around here. But it's, it's a $6 million budget. And $2 million of the $6 million will be given away to, to other ministries, so missions. Uh, it can be global. It can be local. There's a lot of different ways that we give money away. But we give a, about a third of what we bring in to missions. Now, last year, we had an overage. And, and an overage just means we brought in $1.2 million more than we spent. And, and so normally, and we've had overages for about the last 10 or 15 years. Again, I'm real broad. Um, not the money guy. Um, but we've had overages, not that big, but, but normally we give about one-third of whatever the overage is to missions so that we're always giving one-third to missions. This year, we, we gave all of the $1.2 million to, to missions, to organizations outside of Grace Bible Church. And I'm saying all of that, I promise you, not to like to Grace Bible Church's horn or, or anything like that. I, 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 that's not the point. Regarding our budgetary bottom line, we're doing fine. We really are. So like, my point isn't to, to turn the screws down on you. It's, it's just not. Like, I trust that God is sovereign. He has always provided for Grace Bible Church. I think he always will. He has done so, by the way, through the faithful giving of the people of God. And so I, I I give him credit, I give you credit, but ultimately, I really trust him. And, and I promise you, this isn't to try to squeeze something out of you. I think, according to the budgetary bottom line, we're doing great. When I read this passage this week, I started to develop some conviction that while we are doing great regarding the budgetary bottom line, I just don't know that the budgetary bottom line is God's primary concern, okay? So sometimes I can be like, yeah, we're doing fine. Like, we don't have to talk about money. Um, this passage is like, it's not just about that. There are, there are a few questions that I think this passage raises that if we are willing to raise them and address them, hopefully to answer them, I think it will provide us greater freedom in life, like not just in giving, in all of life. So let's, let's jump right in. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Paul is kind of starting a new topic here, and he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So here's the first question we should be asking. How does the Macedonian church, in a quote, severe test of affliction, end quote, demonstrate joy and generosity in extreme poverty? Do you, you understand what I'm asking here? Like, they are in a tough financial strait, probably a tougher financial strait than any of us have ever even imagined, and yet they're demonstrating joy and generosity in that extreme poverty. Look, that to me is foreign, okay? I'm, I'll 
admit, I think I've admitted this before, when the stock market crashes, when my hot water heater goes out and I've, I've got to replace it and it's an unexpected you know, expense, the first two words that people use to describe me in that scenario are not joy and generosity. It's just not how it works for me, okay? Like, I'm not where the Macedonians are. It, it's just true. So the question we should be asking, the questions we should be asking are, what are we missing? What are, what are we missing that they have, and how do we get there, right? I mean, like, that's not to get more money out of you. I just want all of us to have joy and generosity regardless of our circumstances, and, and that's what they have, and why don't we have it? If, you, if, if you're not totally sold yet, let's look at verses 3 and 4. For they, and this is the Macedonians, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, Paul speaking, and beyond their means of their own accord. Look at verse 4 here. It, tell me if you're there yet. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That is pretty amazing. In, in extreme poverty, this church begged, the text says earnestly, it literally means with much exhortation, for the favor, literally the grace of giving. And they gave not just according to their means, but beyond their means, and not just beyond their means, beyond their means of their own accord. Meaning, Paul didn't turn the screws down on them to get them to give. Paul didn't even, he's like, look, I can testify they were giving according to their means, and then of nothing related to me turning screws down, they gave beyond their means, even though they were in extreme poverty. That's rare. People begging for the favor, for literally the grace of giving, that's rare. Like, I, I haven't raised much money for Grace Bible Church. We, you know, we, we've done fine for the last 20 years. We, we've, we've been great. And we have a special offering, so we don't do capital fundraising campaigns where I'm, you know, going out and, and recruiting money for Grace Bible Church. In the last couple of years, I, I've done some of that with Hilltop Adventures, which is a nonprofit we started to try to export our disciple-making tools to other ministries and other churches. And, and so I've, I've been raising some money. And there aren't many people begging me for opportunities to give more. Like that, that has not been my experience over the last two years. I think it's, I think it's great ministry. I think they, they should, but I'm just telling you, it doesn't happen. One guy, a couple of months ago, this is like the notable exception, uh, over at Mendocino Farms, over off of Shepherd, we, we were sitting at a lunch, and, and he slides an envelope across the table, and he's like, I want to give this to Grace, or to Hilltop Adventures, but like, it was a, it was a pretty big check, but that's that's not really even pertinent. What, what he said when he slid the envelope across the table was, hey, I just want you to know I really believe in this ministry. I believe in disciple making. I believe in the way that you're trying to do it. I believe in the curriculum that you've developed. I, I really believe in it. And I want you to know that, that this check isn't the first check. I mean, it, it's not the last check. It's, it's just the first check. And, and there'll be more. And, and we want to be partners in this ministry. And I... I don't know that I'll ever forget that. It's pretty rare. And, 
And I remember looking across the table at him, and I'm like, I found a Macedonian. I get, that's what this guy is. He, he's, he's looking for opportunities to partner, and he's like, I, I want to give more. Like, my family's going to get, you know, like, he's a Macedonian. And I'm like, may your tribe increase, man. <laughs> can, can you introduce me to your relatives? <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty rare. The Macedonians example, begging to give more. First of all, they're, they're recognized four times in the New Testament for their generosity. Like it's, it's pretty rare. But their example raises questions like, how do I get there? What do I need to do to live such a generous life? Those questions are actually answered emphatically in verses 8 through 10. Look, look at this, and I'm, we're going to skip a little bit. We're going to kind of bounce around. I apologize for that. But verses 8 through 10, if you're wondering, how do I get there? What, what am I missing? How do I get to where the Macedonians are, where there's this freedom and this generosity, and, and they're, they're, they're just really kind and generous, a genuine generosity? How do we get there? Verses 8 through 10. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. In verse 9, Jesus, and this is a famous text, gave up wealth to become poor so that we who are poor might be wealthy. You, you might have memorized this verse at some point. It's, it's super cool. Now, it's debatable. Some scholars think that Paul here is talking about the incarnation where, where Jesus gives up like riches in heaven, like the, the kind of the easy life of heaven, and he comes and, and he is born in a, a stable, in a manger, and you know, like all of that kind of stuff, like the idea of the incarnation. Some people think it's about the incarnation, and, and other scholars will say, no, no, it's about his crucifixion, where, where he has the riches of righteousness that he puts aside so that he might die a sinner's death, that sinners like us might receive the righteousness of Christ. We might be clothed in Christ and known by God in Christ's righteousness, which is riches galore. So scholars will debate. My answer to that is yes. I, I, I just think it's all Jesus all the time. Ultimately, this is about self-sacrifice. It's about self-sacrifice as the proper and most specific test of love. That's what it's about. Jesus was self-sacrificial. He was the ultimate example of that in his incarnation, but also in his crucifixion, in everything that he did, he was lowering himself for the sake of others. It was literally self-sacrificial. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Look, here's 
here's the most important thing I'm going to say today. If you don't embrace this, there's just nothing I can do to help you. Like if you don't embrace verse 9, if, if, if you're not really willing to sit under the implications of verse 9, which isn't about giving, it's about gospel. But, but if, if you're not willing to sit in verse 9 and to celebrate verse 9, to marinate in verse 9, nothing else in this passage, really nothing in the next two chapters is, is going to be of any lasting import to you. It's just not going to work. That, that's how it works. Jesus' example is the spring from which genuine generosity flows, and, and if, you, if you cut off the spring, there's no flow. That's how it works. So, so verse 9, kind of the epicenter of this passage. Just to give you a context, in verse 8, Paul says, I'm not commanding you to give. I, like, he, he's like, look, if you don't want to, you don't have to. I, I'm not commanding anyone to give. I'm giving you the opportunity, look at it in verse 8, I'm giving you the opportunity to demonstrate, to prove your love. That's what this is about. Like, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to, to be self-sacrificial and thereby prove your love for other people. Then in verse 9, Paul says that is exactly what Jesus did for us when he became poor so that we might be rich. It's the ultimate example of self-sacrifice and therefore proving of love. For God demonstrates his own love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Like we, We've already understood that as part of the gospel, we just don't understand that that is part of the gospel that we carry to the world. And in verse 10, Paul goes on to say that their desire to give a year prior. And this isn't talking about the Macedonians. It's, it's talking about the Corinthians who were kind of a dumpster fire. But a year prior, they had already desired to give, and that was born out of Jesus' example. If you look at verses 8, 9, and 10, that's the flow Grace begets grace. And so the, the point then is, if, if you haven't really understood the grace of God, you'll never be genuinely generous. You might be wealthy. You might throw some cash to a variety of different things, maybe to appease your conscience, maybe to get people to stop bugging you, but you won't really be genuinely generous unless you've first been impacted by the immensity of God's grace. Grace begets grace. Generosity begets generosity. But if you're like, well, I, I get the gospel, but it's not where I am. First of all, join the club. I'm, I'm not where I need to be. How, how do I get there? If you're still asking that question, I've, I've already given you the answer. You get there by getting to Jesus. You, you get there to this genuine generosity by, by just sitting in verse 9. You enjoy verse 9. You, you marvel at verse 9. You marinate in Jesus' generosity in verse 9. You swim laps in verse 9. The first step toward genuine generosity is understanding the gospel. And I, I promise, like, I don't want you to give anything to anyone 
until you've understood that. Because I think that's the source. That's the spring from which everything flows. That's, that's the first step. The second step toward genuine generosity is living out of the gospel. Now, so you first step is, is to understand the gospel. And then the second step, and it, this seems so basic, but it's to live out of the gospel. The reason I say that is verse 5, and I'm, I'm kind of going backwards here, but I think this matters. And this, not as we expected. So the Macedonians have given a lot, and it goes on to say, this is not as we expected, but they, the Macedonians, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. When you give yourself first to the Lord, generosity toward others just kind of happens. You're not going to have to work at it. It's going to be a byproduct of understanding the grace that has been given to you. You'll be gracious. You'll be generous toward other people. Sacrificial giving to others just happens when you give yourself first to the Lord. I, I think I've got a great illustration to prove this. A couple of months ago, Mary and I went to this lunch. It was called a generous giving lunch. And um, about a year ago, I, I preached, I think, my fourth sermon ever on giving. It was last summer's hard sayings of Jesus. And so it was where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And that's a hard saying of Jesus. And so I'd preached on this. I'd been really convicted. And so we were trying to figure out how to live more generously because I'm not that generous. And so we go to this generous giving lunch and, and the guy who's there is a guy named Ron Blue. Um, now Ron Blue's a big, big name in, in giving. Like Christian giving, Ron Blue's one of the guys. There, there's a guy, um, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. He's the other big guy. So like I'm, I'm kind of an expert in this field as you can tell. And um, I, I can never remember Dave Ramsey's name, but, but Ron Blue and Dave Ramsey, they're, they're the two big, and Ron Blue is at this lunch, this generous giving lunch, and so, you know, we, we do the presentation, and it was all fine, and really good stuff, and we're leaving, and Ron Blue is saying goodbye to everybody, and so we're walking out, and he's like, oh, well, you know, tell me what you do, and I'm like, well, I'm a pastor here in town, and he's like, really, he's, he's really interested, he's like, what are you doing to equip your church to, to give generously, and I was like, not much, honestly. <laughs> It was kind of embarrassing. I mean, Mary was there. Like, I was like, we, we've got like a tiny little blurb in our growth group curriculum about what the church does. It's, it's buried in a bunch of other stuff. We don't do much. And then he was like, well, how's that going for you? And I was like, it's actually going pretty well. Uh, <laughs> we, we had a $1.2 million surplus last year. You know, and I tell him that. And he was like, really? And then he's like, well, what are you doing? Like, what? What actually is your church about? I was like, you know, I know this sounds simple. We are trying really hard to make disciples of, of everyone. Like we, we are trying to help people grow to maturity and also to, to be participants in God's kingdom and to do the work of ministry. It's, it's a, you know, that's, that's what we're driving at in all things. Ron Blue, the guru of generous giving. Okay, like he's an older guy. He, he's, he's been around forever. This is like his deal. He's like, oh, you don't need to focus on giving then. It'll take care of itself. That was fun. <laughs> I'm like, yeah! How about that, Ron Blue? <laughs> Verse 7 is what he was talking about. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. When it says excel in everything, it's talking about disciple-making. When you excel as a church in doing the work of ministry, it, it isn't just your checkbook, it's everything. But then it says excel in this. And, and the excel in this is this grace of giving. It's what the, this is. And so excel in everything. It isn't just your checkbook, but as you excel in everything, excel in this, it certainly includes your checkbook. And that's, that's what Ron Blue was saying. The reason we're doing okay financially is because we're, we're making disciples. And as people grow in their participation, they, they trust the Lord more. And as they trust the Lord more, they become more secure. And as they become more secure, they're just more generous. And so that's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. The third step to genuine generosity is making sure that pure hearts drive all the decisions and actions that we engage in. <clears throat> the reason I say that is verses 10 and 11. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Verse 9, the Lord Jesus made himself poor that we could be rich. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Verse 11, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Desiring to do it, it is giving sacrificially. And then desiring to finish or complete it, it in that case is the relief that the churches are giving to the Jerusalem church that brothers and sisters might be made whole. He's like, keep doing it, but ultimately it's from a pure heart. Like, the idea is we should want it. We should want to participate in good kingdom ministry. We should want to give generously and sacrificially in good kingdom ministry because we are secure in Christ. And, and God has made us stewards of all of this stuff that he has given us. And so why wouldn't we? It's making sure that our hearts are pure. Look, that's actually pretty important. Here's how it's going to shake out in your life how it's going to shake out in my life. People will either love money and use people or they will love people and use money. That's just how it's going to work, y'all. And the reality is on any given day, I'm wavering between those two. On any given day. But I want to be a person who loves people and uses money to love people. And it, if that's the case, I'll be generous. I will be so in love with Jesus for what he has done for me that he became poor that I might be rich. I will live from a position of security and I will be generous. That's, that's how it works. I will love people and use money in that endeavor. That's the third step to genuine generosity. The fourth step, and this final step, to genuine generosity, it's found in verse 15, and I know I'm jumping around a lot, but look how Paul ends this section. As it is written, 
Whoever gathered much has nothing left over, and whoever gathered little has no lack. Seems kind of weird because we're not Jewish. But if, you, if you're a Jew, you'll realize that this is a quote of Exodus chapter 16, verse 18, and it's talking about Israel when they were wandering around after they had been delivered out of Egypt by God's miraculous hand, and they've gotten right to the promised land, and they've been unfaithful, and so God gives them like a timeout walk for a generation out in the wilderness. And I mean, they're going around and around in the wilderness. The wilderness is not that big. Like, it is timeout. And every day, God is providing manna from heaven. And if you go back and look at Exodus chapter 16, you're going to find that some people are, are gathering the manna that, that is every day there, and they're gathering more than they need. Maybe at the expense of other neighbors who, who aren't getting as much because they slept in or something like that. So they're, they're gathering all this manna, and they're, they're saying, God has provided for us today, but we're not sure that he's going to provide for us tomorrow, and so we're going to hoard. Maybe at the expense of our neighbors, we're going to hoard. And, and so other people are getting up, and there's, there's maybe not that much manna out there anymore because the other quicker neighbors have hoarded, and, and so then they're like, well, we're just going to gather what we can, and what they can is always enough. That's what verse 15 is talking about. That's what verse 15 is talking about. So, when Israel's in time out in the desert and God is providing generously to everyone, there are two types of Israelites. There are frustrated hoarders because every, it, it, if you need this much manna and you take in this much manna, you've got this much manna left over, every morning that extra manna, when they wake up, Worms. Worms in the manna. Like, you, you can't eat that stuff. That's nasty. So the, the more they hoard, the more frustrated they are because it's just not working. And, and the people who got not enough, they've got enough. And so you've got frustrated hoarders or you've got the delighted faithful. That's two types of Israelites in the face of God's abundant provision. Here's the last thing that I think Paul's trying to leave us with by quoting Exodus 16, 18. It's very difficult to be delighted by God's provision when hoarding manna that will ultimately rot in the morning. Keep it in mind, okay? It's not really about manna. You get it? If you've heard one thing today, I hope that it's genuine generosity starts with Jesus, okay? Like, I don't care how much you give. I, I want it to come from the gospel. I, I want it to start with Jesus. And you know what communion is? Communion is a reminder that both by the self-sacrifice of his body so that we might have spiritual prosperity, that's what we do when we take the bread, and also the empowerment that not only would we be inspired by his example, but that, that we might be changed and live differently by his example. The blood of Christ, the new covenant, reminds us that that is for us. We, we're not just inspired, we're empowered. The body broken delivers us. The shed blood empowers us. So we're going to take some time. 
to prepare our hearts for communion. If, if you need to pray and ask God to help you in the area of generosity like I do, this is a great time to do that. If you need to pray and ask God for help in a sin issue or anything else that you would not take the bread and the cup in an inappropriate way, this is a great time to do that too. But when you come, come knowing that God has made provision for you. Take the bread, take the cup back to your seat. Wait till everyone has been served and then we will celebrate the goodness of the gospel to us that we might live it out to others by the cross of Calvary. Pray now.